As you travel around West Virginia, you often see large facilities with big chemical storage tanks. Who controls those things? I'm Dan Ringer, and we'll talk about the transport, storage, and control of chemicals right now on The Law Works. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Closed captioning for The Law Works is made possible by a grant from the Monongalia County Bar Association to support legal information and education for all West Virginians. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation, the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. follow the news, you know there was a bit of a difficulty in nine West Virginia counties recently. 300,000 people in nine West Virginia counties lost access to safe water. My guest is West Virginia University College of Law professor Patrick C. McGinley. Pat, thank you for joining us yet again. My pleasure. You are interested in environmental law. You teach it, you speak about it, and you sometimes get involved in those issues legally. That's right. So what happened on the Oak River? Well, uh, Benjamin Franklin once wrote that when the well runs dry, we know the worth of water. And he also wrote an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I think both of those comments are relevant today. Uh, what went wrong? Well. We've chosen to have a society that regulates some types of business and industrial activity. And with regard to environmental regulation, uh, one of the goals is to protect public health and safety. And another goal is to force the internalization of externalized industrial costs. And, and that's why laws prevent water pollution uh, air pollution, uh, discharge of hazardous waste and toxic chemicals. Uh, but in order for that system to be effective, uh, several things have to come together. First of all, the laws have to be adequate. They have to cover the possible uh, uh, dangers posed by industrial activity. And secondly, they have to be enforced. And when both of those come together, they are a deterrent to the kind of conduct that led to this uh, uh, spill uh, of chemicals in the Kanawha Valley. Yeah, when I read the news reports, listen to the news reports about this, and I have no secret sources of information, I just know what I read in the papers, basically. It seems as if everyone is disclaiming any sort of duty or obligation 
to regulate this particular business, Freedom Industries, and this particular chemical. It has a name about as long as my arm, and we don't need to get into that. It's just the stuff that was in the tank. And in fact, I have heard that it, the tank that leaked hadn't been inspected for a long time. One, one source says 1991 was the last time it was actually inspected. So if everyone denies responsibility for it, what good does regulation, what good does law do in a situation like this? Well, we have to remember that denial of responsibility doesn't mean there hasn't been and isn't responsibility. Uh, in this case, there, there were responsibilities uh, placed by law, uh, by uh, ethics, uh, on corporate managers, on state and federal regulatory agencies, uh, and uh, uh, they were ignored. Uh, so the question here is, as I've saying before, you both have to have laws that are effective, uh, and they have to be enforced. Here, there's the, the uh, position taken by many that no laws regulated this material. Uh, I think that's not accurate. Uh, and uh, secondly, if people are responsible for making decisions that led to this uh, catastrophe, uh, then they should be held responsible. Uh, so uh, at this point, I don't think we can take the denial of responsibility uh, that we've heard at face value. Uh, we have to know more about uh, what occurred and, uh, and see if the, the authorities will uh, pursue those responsible. Was there any federal oversight of, of this facility? Well, the, primarily the, the law uh, gives the state Department of Environmental Resources and Department of Health responsibility for uh, protecting the state's water supply and uh, for uh, monitoring industrial activities that might create water pollution. Uh, but they operate under an umbrella of federal law uh, and the state chooses to take responsibility or primary authority for uh, enforcing federal law. So in this case, the, the, the primary law enforcers uh, are at the state level. Did they do their job? Apparently not. Uh, there was uh, a statute passed by Congress, the Safe Drinking Water Act, that provided uh, the ability of states and a framework for states to protect what they call uh, source water supplies. And the source water would be, uh, an example of that would be the Elk River, uh, where the water flowing through the Elk is taken as the source for public drinking water. Uh, interestingly, in this case, it was the sole source supplying nine counties, as I understand it with uh, public drinking water. So the, the statute created a framework for the state to identify uh, source water and take action to uh, identify threats, uh, possible threats to that so source water, uh, and take action to prevent the sort of uh, occurrence that, that led to the contamination of uh, the water supply in southern West Virginia. Okay, there was a chemical storage facility right on the banks of the Elk River, about a mile or a mile and a half upstream from the primary water intake source for the West Virginia 
American Water Company, I think was the name of it. Yes. Didn't anybody recognize that as a potential source of, of pollution, a, a chemical hazard? Well, it, it was clearly a source of uh, possible contamination and pollution. And without regard to the existence of environmental regulatory laws, the, the standard in, in the industry where chemicals are stored in that fashion is that you monitor the, the tanks to make sure there's no corrosion, there are no leaks, and importantly, and th this is just, this is not rocket science. You build an impoundment surrounding uh, the tank or tanks. Uh, you make it impermeable with clay, or maybe there's a liner, and uh, you build it to a height that will contain everything in the tank if the tank failed. So if the tank just totally collapsed and everything that was in it flowed out, you're supposed to build this containment area to hold that amount of liquid. That's right, and would, there'd never be pollution if that were done right. And clearly that wasn't done here. So at the first level, the corporate managers uh, had to know what the state, uh, state of the art, uh, the practice in the industry was, and they failed to do that. Now these are old tanks, that doesn't alleviate the current company managers from responsibility. Uh, it, it should have been done when the tanks were originally built, and uh, uh, this, this uh, particular facility did have a permit from the state DEP uh, relating to stormwater discharges. Well, stormwater discharges are regulated where they occur in an industrial area and there may be the possibility of contamination, maybe an area where tank trucks are loading and unloading and there may be a spill, but also in this particular area. The company actually applied for a stormwater permit. And when you get a stormwater permit, the company has to do its own analysis and, and determine uh, whether uh, the precautions they're taking are adequate to prevent the sort of thing that happened. And then DEP uh, uh, has the authority either to grant or deny that permit, and here it's just a no-brainer. Uh, there wasn't there wasn't a containment area. The company performs their own calculations or determination as to whether what they're proposing is adequate, and then the DEP can say yes or no. Well, the DEP should have a staff capable of taking a look, at least going to that site, looking around and saying, "Hey, this impoundment isn't going to work." We're talking about stormwater runoff. If it rains, the stuff that may have been spilled onto the parking lot gets washed into the water table, and that's what we're talking about there. But we had thousands of gallons <clears throat> of a potentially toxic chemical in a storage tank, and nobody seemed to be looking at well, that. Well, the stormwater permit looks to storage tanks as well. So that's, that's part of the, the, um, uh, the, the responsibility of, of someone who has storage tanks. You get a, you have uh, the stormwater permit, and the idea is you've got drains there, and if the storage tank uh, leaks, it's going to go in the storm drain and go in the river. So you make sure that's not going to happen. Not rocking scientists, should have been done. Uh, uh, you don't need uh, uh, a college degree to look at uh, that situation and know that there's a hazard there that should have been corrected. So both DEP and the, the operator of those tanks knew what the state of the art was. They just ignored it. We're talking about the transport, storage, and control of chemicals. My guest is West Virginia University College of Law Professor Patrick C. McGinley. I'm Dan Ringer, and this is The Law Works.
when I get in my car to go someplace, one of the things I do is I walk around it to make sure the tires are all inflated, there are no puddles of gas or oil under it that, because I don't want it to affect the operation of my car. When I get in the car and drive off, if somebody says, how much gas you got? I look at a gauge and it tells me how much liquid is in the gasoline tank of the car. And if it gets low, a little light comes on and says, you need gas. Sometimes cars will actually say, your gas is low. None of those things seem to be done here. Nobody walked around the tanks to see if they were leaking. One, one report said it, it, this particular tank had been leaking for up to 15 hours. And you've got to figure that's at least one full shift of people working in that business, and nobody had gone out to look at it. Are there no requirements for that? Well, sure. I mean, that's, that's something a business would do uh, as a matter of course, without regard to regulation. Now, it makes good, it's good business sense to make absolutely, sure that your infrastructure because, is Absolutely, uh, because if, if there's a leak from storage tanks like that and it gets into the water, contaminates it, they have liability. In this case, this is a smaller company. They don't have resources, they're going bankrupt. The, the public pick, picks up the tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars of cost of all the businesses they couldn't operate and the annoyance and inconvenience to the uh, tens of thousands of people affected. One of the things that was said, Randy Huffman, uh, this is from a New York Times article, Randy Huffman, who is identified as the state cabinet secretary in charge of environmental protection, said that Freedom Industries, that was the company that was storing this chemical, only stored the chemicals, it did not produce them, so his department had no responsibility for regulating it. If the state environmental protection people had no responsibility for regulating this industry, who did? Well, they did have responsibility. Uh, uh, there's a need for additional regulatory provisions, uh, change in the law to make the responsibility clear, but they, they did have the responsibility that, that I mentioned under the Clean Water Act stormwater discharge uh, uh, permit. Uh, but we need less environmental regulations. That We need to get the EPA to back off, Pat. That's the political theme in West Virginia. Well, that's the political theme but the reality is that if you want to protect public health and safety and the environment that we all enjoy and, and such basic components of the environment as clean water, then you need some level of regulation. Uh, corporate managers uh, who, uh, who operate facilities that can cause the kind of pollution we saw here are not deterred if uh, they think that regulatory agencies won't uh, enforce the law and impose sanctions when they violate the law. So you not only have to have good laws, you have to have fair and strict enforcement. And a corporate manager is not going to be able to pay a lot of money to make uh, improvements at facilities to avoid catastrophic uh, uh, incidents uh, if it's going to cost a lot of money and the company doesn't get anything in return. If there's, an, there's not a, a likelihood that they, uh, the law will be enforced, there's no deterrent, and uh, the, the bottom line of corporations is the bottom line. Uh, the goal of, of uh, businesses is to make a profit, and they're not going to spend money that they don't 
have to spend. Now, that's not saying there aren't some corporate managers that go out and look. In this situation, I think there are quite a few that would go out and look at these the tanks and say, hey, we can't have this. We've got to build the impoundments. We've got to have uh, monitoring. This is uh, hazardous material. We've got to have monitoring every day to make sure that we're not going uh, to uh, experience any liability and we want to comply with the law. This is not an expensive under, I mean, if, if you do everything that can possibly be done, that could be expensive. If you can go out and replace containment walls and things like that, there would be expense associated with that. But in business, we amortize that over a period of years, and it comes out to be a re relatively minor expense per day, although it might be a lot of money to buy it up front. And businesses take advantage of that. They get tax breaks for doing those kinds of things. But to pay a lower level employee to go out and walk around the tank to see if the ground's wet because it's leaking or to look at a wall to see if there are holes in it, that's not expensive. In fact, we have reason to know that the containment wall, we originally found out at least, that it wasn't impermeable, that it was subject to leaking, when one of the guys who painted the wall said, it leaked. It, it, we knew it was going to leak, basically. So that's not a, a major expense, but by the same token, couldn't a DEP representative go out and walk around the tank and say it looks like it's going to leak or that wall's not going to hold the chemicals back? Well, both, both should have happened, Dan. Uh, they didn't. We've got an anti-regulation culture here that is promoted by West Virginia politicians and West Virginia business and industry. Uh, but uh, and, and they create this... Uh, perspective uh, that you, you really can't have environmental regulation and a vibrant economy. Uh, you can't have jobs and environmental protection. And that's a false choice. And in fact, uh, the fair uh, but strict application of environmental regulation uh, in increases jobs and promotes a vibrant economy. But that's, that's not the culture in, in the Department of Environmental Protection, in, in the legislature, uh, and among business leaders. Uh, and uh, who would go back to a time when uh, business and industry was totally unregulated? Uh, uh, child labor laws, uh, workplace uh, uh, fatalities and injuries by the thousands. Uh, and so regulation has its place. In West Virginia, regulation is a dirty word, and that's, that's not proper. That doesn't make sense. And 300,000 West Virginians who have experienced the loss of water uh, in the last few weeks understand now, better understand, that there is a need uh, for regulation uh, and that regulating agencies that do their job and enforce the law deter these sorts of things. We're talking about the transport, storage, and control of chemicals. My guest is West Virginia University law professor uh, Patrick C. McGinley. I'm Dan Ringer, and this is The Law Works. Senator Manchin, former Governor Manchin, said, to err is human, but are you going to stop living because you're afraid of making a mistake? A lot of people do, upon occasion, stop living because mistakes are made. So 
isn't the whole purpose of these regulations to avoid the errors that lead to sickness, injury, death? And aren't we being told in a statement like that, don't worry about that. Mistakes happen. We just go on. Don't disrupt your life unless, of course, you're one of the victims of one of the mistakes. Well, I, I think perhaps Senator Manchin misspoke. Uh, <laughs> That's a good response. I, yeah. Yeah, when you have uh, a situation where uh, the lack of due care can cause catastrophic consequences, we can't afford to have mistakes. The, uh, it, there, there aren't such things as mistakes when you're handling hazardous chemicals and toxic substances. An example would be the manufacturer of methyl isocyanate, MIC, at the Institute plant, formerly Union Carbide. Uh, the above ground tanks contained enough MIC to kill as many people as died when there was an explosion in Bhopal, India in the 80s. So thousands of people died. And yet, West Virginia regulators permitted the storage of that material for years until a lawsuit just a couple of years ago by the people who lived near the plant uh, caused Bayer to rethink uh, the, the, uh, their decision to keep that material there and remove it. And now maybe the, the chances are that uh, that material would not leak and get into the, in, the environment uh, but if it did, it would kill thousands. We can't take that kind of chance. We can't have mistakes like that. That's why you need strict uh, environmental regulation to prevent that. That was the chemical that the Union Carbide plant in Bhopal, India, let loose. And uh, as I understand it, to inhale it was to die. That's right. That's exactly and right. Thousands of people lived right there. They inhaled it and they died. And at the Institute plant, when that stuff was released, it went in the right direction away from people. Well, it wasn't released. Uh, that, if that had been released, we would have had a lot of people dead. Uh, there was a tank that was located within 100 feet of the MIC tank. It exploded. It killed two workers. If that explosion had gone toward the MIC tank rather than away from it, we would have had tens of thousands of uh, injuries and fatalities. We can't afford to have mistakes when we're dealing with these sorts of hazardous chemicals and toxic uh, materials. In those industries that uh, would pay one to walk around the tank every once in a while and make sure that it's sound. Absolutely. Well, where's the future of this going? Well, uh, in order to change a culture, an anti-regulation culture, uh, people have to be knowledgeable, they have to understand that regulation isn't bad, that it doesn't kill jobs, it saves lives, uh, uh, it saves the sort of uh, uh, losses and uh, inconvenience that people experience with this recent uh, chemical spill. Uh, so people have to be educated and they have to vote. They have to make it known to the politicians and legislators and members of Congress uh, we're not going to put up with this. Uh, we can't afford mistakes uh, when the consequences can be catastrophic. But the history is that if an industry is important enough to a region or to West Virginia, and they say, you're pushing us too hard, we're going to leave, nothing happens. 
I'll, I'll refer back to the medical malpractice crisis of a few years ago. The doctor said, no, if, if you're going to hold us to tighter restrictions on errors that we make or more responsibility for those errors, we're just going to pack our bags and leave the state. And the coal industry seems to take sort of the same position, and we're told, no, no, don't, don't push them too hard. Our jobs are at stake. We're going to lose our jobs because they're going to shut down or they're going to leave. I don't know where an extractive industry goes. You've got to be where the minerals are. But we are intimidated. We're afraid. We're going to lose our jobs in the coal industry. We're going to lose our jobs in the chemical industry. In fact, the first public pronouncement after this leak on the Elk River was the governor of West Virginia standing up saying this isn't a coal industry matter. Yet the chemical was directly used in the coal industry. Well, uh, there is a long history of uh, job extortion, some call it. Uh, uh, we, we can't have jobs if we're going to regulate. And that's just false. If you, you see the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, uh, the Resource Conservation Recovery Act that, that deals with hazardous waste, those things have been effective. They've not cured the problems. Industry opposed all of those, and they continue to oppose them. But people have to understand that sound regulation, fair regulation, is essential for, to protect the public interest. Prof Professor Pat McGinley, we're out of time. I'm sorry. We'll come back and talk about this some more. Pleasure, Dan. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you also for being with us. On behalf of the Law Works, I'm Dan Ringer. Good evening. If you would like to suggest a topic for a future The Law Works show, or if you're a school teacher and would like to receive a DVD of this show for classroom use, send us an email to thelawworks at comcast.net or visit us on Facebook. On the Law Works website at thelawworks.org, you'll find a listing of recent The Law Works programs, additional information about this show's topic, and video of this and recent shows. You can also find the LawWorks programs on YouTube and iTunes. The LawWorks is produced in cooperation with the Office of the West Virginia Attorney General, the West Virginia Bar Foundation, the Mountain State Bar, the Monongahela County Bar Association, and the West Virginia University College of Law. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. Additional support for the law works is provided by the West Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting, 